Thanks for listening to The Gathering from Storyline Church. This past Sunday at Storyline's Gathering, we continued with our series, Grace Changes Everything, by considering how it even changes the nature and goal of faith itself. The band performed songs by Miley Cyrus, Alicia Keys, Benjamin Hastings, and more. Let's have a listen.
me and who you say I was yesterday have gone a separate ways. Left my living past somewhere in the past, cause that's for chasing cars. Turns out open bars lead to broken hearts and going way too far. Two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. <laughs> you know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey, going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. 
No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. It would finally be true. And I could stop this, this terrible search. For what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. But these are important, these awards. I don't want you to think that just because if you blew up our solar system alone, you wouldn't be able to find us or any of human history with the naked eye. But from our perspective, this is huge. Good, good morning, Storyline. It's so good to be together. I have had the craziest couple of weeks. I have to just tell you a little bit about it. Um, first, my mom had a bit of a health scare a few weeks ago. She's doing fine now, thank God. But n you never want to get a text from someone who's in the hospital, especially if that person is my mother. Um, she's not great at texting all the time. Um, this, so what happened was she was sending me messages and I was really struggling to figure out exactly what was going on. Obviously, it's serious. She's in the hospital. So then she sent me this text, okay, which is, okay, that's good to know. They're going to move into this room. She's going to have this, you know, uh, test. Uh, I called her right away. She didn't answer. And then she followed up with this text. Turning off phone, almost dead. <laughs> okay. Next on the to-do list for me. Thanks, Mom. All right. Well, anyway, she's doing great, but that was so fun um, to, to uh, see that, um, you know, work out better than I, at least it looked like for a second there. So... Anyways, and then a couple weeks ago, on the other end of the spectrum, our son Jimmy got married. And yes, I know, so excited. Here he is with his wonderful wife, our daughter-in-law, Carly. And she is just amazing in so many ways, this bright presence in our life. We love her so much. She is now one of five people in our family and about 99% of the energy. And so uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm worn up just thinking about her, trying to keep up with her. So um, she's great. We really, really love her and so, so happy. But when your child is getting married, you think about a lot of things. But one of the things for sure that you think about is their childhood. And one of the memories that Jim, of me that I have of Jimmy as a little boy reminded me of something that we talked about last week. And for a season of time, when Jimmy was about three years old, he got into this pattern for quite a while, as little kids do, you know, and where he would run to the door when I got home from work. Now, at this time, we lived in a bi-level house. And so the second story is where we lived. And, you know, the bottom floor was like half basement and then a two-car garage under the bedrooms. So when I came home, he would, I, would be, I would pull into this lower, lower level. And by the time Jimmy was three, he was not a normally sized child, okay? Just absolutely huge. Like people always wanted to know why Lisa was carrying around a 10-year-old on her hip, you know? Um, 
So when I got to the garage, I could hear, as I'm getting out of the car, I could hear him running down the hall above me to get to the door. So I'd get out of the car as fast as I could, might make my way to this door that would empty me out into the basement. And Jimmy would scamper down the first half of stairs. Now, this isn't our house, but this is how it was put together. In the bi-level house, he would come down that first half flight of stairs from the living room and get to that landing, which was also the front door. And then he would have to take a 180 degree turn and then there's another half flight of stairs to the basement slash garage door where I was coming in. Well, Jimmy would hit that landing, turn that corner and he wasn't waiting, like ready or not. He was like jumping from that landing into my arms. I had to catch him. I loved it so much. I, I don't know that I've ever felt more loved than when that little boy ran to me and jumped toward me like that. It's one of my favorite memories. And that memory came back to me last Sunday when we closed by suggesting that maybe, maybe seeing our connection with God as primarily about our leap of faith to him is not nearly as helpful or maybe even as accurate as seeing our connection to God as God's leap of grace to us. We are in the middle of a series of talks that we're calling Grace Changes Everything, and last week, we started a conversation about how grace changes faith. We often think about the life of faith as our leap toward God or us following God. But the truth is, before we have faith at all, beneath anything that could ever be called our faith and beyond our faith entirely is God's grace. And the truth is, for our entire life, God has been following us, running toward us, and taking a leap of grace toward us. Now, this image of the relentless and the reckless love of God is why I'm so thankful for the mission and the dream that God has given us together, a storyline. We are longing to be a community that begins with belonging. Before you believe, no matter what you believe, we want to be a people who leap for any chance to love, invite, include, and to treasure people. We have a long way to go, but our hope is to become more and more a church living out that leap of grace to wherever people are. And in so many ways, I think that's what we saw last week. This life of faith in the grace of God which is at its most basic what Jesus is inviting us into, a faith in the grace of God, it points out how we just used to be young. Like in a lot of ways, we used to be naive about how life really works. Because the beginning of the life of faith in God's grace is acknowledging that the things we normally put our faith in in life, accomplishments, applause, or maybe power and prestige, or maybe your flavor is comfort and control or pleasure and health. Well, the life of faith begins when we recognize that there are just not, there's not enough of that. There's not enough of these golden globes that we chase after for us to finally be enough and for our terrible search to come to an end. And so the first thing that we saw last week is that grace changes faith because it's an invitation to a new direction, to stop placing our faith in all of these things in life. And many of these things are good things, 
but all of these things in life that make promises to us that they can't keep. And the second way that grace changes faith is recognizing that this new direction of our faith begins to create in us a new desire for life. Like what we want to get out of life begins to take a back seat to what we want to give to life. So this new direction and this new desire can be described in many ways. Last week, I talked about it as um, finding a resilient meaning in life. Jesus called it the abundant life. Uh, and places, there's other places in the Bible that refers to it as eternal life or salvation. And before we get into where we're headed this morning, the, the third way that grace changes faith, I want to stop for a bit and consider this idea of salvation. Because the third way grace changes faith is deeply connected to what salvation actually is. So um, last Sunday, we used a very famous verse in the Bible. It goes like this. We are saved by grace through faith. Now, I want to look at the three operative terms in that statement, grace, faith, and saved. So grace is often described, we often describe it here as the undeserved love, forgiveness, acceptance, and affection of God. Now, why does God love us? Or how can God forgive us? These are super important questions. We revisit that over, we revisit those things over and over again. But for our purposes this morning, that's, I think, what grace is. All right? Faith, as we saw last week, is a nuanced concept, but at the very least, at least to start, we need to see that, the, that in the Bible, faith means trust. That's what it means. If you, if you want to revolutionize your Bible reading, okay, every time you see the word faith, take that word out and put in the word trust. Or even better, substitute in the, the phrase a trust in God's goodness for me. Because that is what the Bible is talking about when it, when it uses the word faith. It will, you put that phrase in, every time you see the word faith, and the, and the Bible just comes alive. But what is salvation? What does it mean? What is it? Here's one. I borrowed Putty's car and all the presets on his radio were Christian rock stations. I like Christian rock. It's very positive. It's not like those real musicians who think they're so cool and hip. So, you think that Putty actually believes in something? It's, it's a used car. He probably never changed the presets. Yes, he is lazy. Plus, he probably doesn't even know how to program the buttons. Yes! He is dumb. So you prefer dumb and lazy to religious? Dumb and lazy, I understand. <laughs> and look what I pried off of his bumper. A Jesus fish! Do you have any fish sticks? No. So you're disappointed he's a spiritual person? Well, yeah, I got him because he seems so one-dimensional. I feel misled. So where do you want to eat? Feels like an Arby's night. Arby's. Beef and cheese and... Do you believe in God? Yes. Oh. 
So, you're pretty religious. That's right. So, is it a problem that I'm not really religious? Not for me. Why not? I'm not the one going to hell. I'm so sorry to use something like that that we know is being used in every church throughout America all the time, right? In the last three weeks, um, I have had the hard but sad, wonderful privilege to speak at three funerals. And just yesterday, my friend and storyliner, Charlie Fuller, was laid to rest. He was a kind and gentle and sweet soul, and i um, really going to miss him. The week before was a memorial for another storyliner and dear friend, Sarah Bard. Uh, there was a memorial run and walk for her at, at the park. It was really beautiful. And one of the verses that I often use at a funeral or a celebration of life is this one. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now here's the thing about being saved. And this is ultimately, by the way, it's not a talk about heaven and hell, okay? It's, it really is about how grace changes faith. But and I hope that, stick with me and, and we're gonna get there, okay? So here's the thing about being saved. It's much more than about just being saved from hell or even being with God in heaven someday and in the great by and by in, in at least two ways. The first is the Bible depicts eternal life as a quality of life that's offered to us right here and right now and then continues forever. Again, Jesus called it the abundant life. And secondly, most importantly, we make a mistake if we assume that being with God is something that everyone will like or enjoy. Now, if we're going to wrestle with the last way that grace changes faith, we have to recognize the possibility that not everyone will like being with God, or that's at least a possibility. And it's not because of God's attitude towards us, but possibly because of our attitude toward him. Uh, In a couple weeks, it will be the 20th anniversary of the Cubs-Bartman game. Now, some of us will remember this. It was game six of the National Championship League series game. The Cubs were playing the Marlins at Wrigley Field, and there was a blooper, out-of-bounds fly ball hit. The shortstop went over to catch it, would have caught it. Probably the Cubs would have won the game and gone to the World Series, but a fan did what all fans do. Steve Bartman, there he is in the blue hat. He reached out, and you can see he bumped the ball and the glove of the player, and he missed it. Now, it was just a horrible for him. For, like, there's, a, there's actually a documentary about his life. It was so terrible for him. For, like, they made this documentary 17 years later. He had to move. I think he changed his name. People were dressing up as Bartman for Halloween for years with the hat and the... It was terrible, okay? So anyways, this game lives in infamy in Cubs history as they blew a lead to, to lose this game that would have sent them to the World Series. Now... My cousin Larry and I, somehow, and I can't even remember how, we got tickets for the next game, which is game seven. The series was tied 3-3, 
okay? And this is like winner-take-all game. It's at Wrigley Field, Cubs versus the Marlins at Wrigley Field. We walked into that park, and it was like electric. Like, I have never been in a place like this ever. Cubs fans, of which I'm not, okay? I'm just like, this is going to be great. But they're nuts, these people, okay? And so um, it was this really close game, back and forth. The Cubs haven't been to, you know, the World Series since like the time of Jesus. And so it's like, everybody is like, and no one sat ever. I mean, it was crazy. So the Cubs had their ace, Kerry Wood, pitching. He's pitching on the mound. He's their best pitcher. And it's getting late into the game, and the Cubs are down by a couple of runs, and it's a critical time of the game, and Kerry Wood comes up to bat. Now, if you know much about baseball, you get the drama here, but if you don't, let me just kind of backfill a little bit. Pitchers are terrible hitters, okay? They always bat last, and often, when you get deep into a game, you'll want to pull the pitcher and put in a pinch hitter, because, especially if you need a hit right then, and the Cubs did, they needed a hit so badly. The downside is that to put in a better hitter for Kerry Wood means you have to pull him out of the game. So Kerry Wood can no longer pitch. So Dusty Baker is the manager for the Cubs at the time, and he's got this monumental decision, and everybody's thinking the same thing, like, what is he going to do? And I could hear people around me, like, oh, you got to leave him in, or you got to let him hit, or whatever. And they go ahead, and they let Kerry Wood come up to the bat. So the pitcher is in the batter's box, and it's like the Cubs have to have a hit here. Like, I think there was a man on second, and so I hit, you know, it, and they would have been down by only one run instead of two. And Kerry Wood hit a home run. The pitcher, yeah, yeah, the pitcher hit a home run. And Wrigley Field came unglued. I mean, I mean, to this day, it's 20 years later, I have chills thinking about it. I have never in my life experienced anything like that moment at all. I saw grown men, two grown men. Like when people came into Wrigley Field, it was like coming into church. People were greeting each other. I saw two men, they were both accountants, and I know that because I saw them and heard them introduce themselves to one another before the game. So I know they don't know each other. Kerry Wood hit that home run, and these two middle-aged accountants turned to each other, full bear hug. They're jumping up and down in each other's arms. One of them leaned back and kissed the other one on the cheek. And I'm taking this all in like, what is going on? This place is nuts. Wrigley Field was heaven. It was heaven. These two guys loved the Cubs so much. Wrigley Field was heaven. But there were two guys in front of them. It was hell. Why? Why? They were Marlins fans. They were Marlins fans. It, for, the, for the two guys in front of us, for the two guys in front of them, they were Marlins fans. Here's the, here's the point. Same place. See, they were in the same place. For some people, it was heaven. For some people, it was hell. What determined that? Who you loved. Who you loved. The point is, salvation is not just getting into heaven when we die. 
It is much more about becoming the kind of people who will like, enjoy, and love heaven. Who will find heaven heavenly when we get there. And heaven is being with God. And if we aren't a fan of God, of love and grace, well, it doesn't really matter where we are, does it? You see, the question is, then, if that's the case, how does that happen in us? How do we become those, that kind of person that will find heaven heavenly? And the answer is always the same, by grace. It's all by God's grace when we allow it to. Allowing God's grace to have its way with us and in us, cooperating with, cooperating with the grace of God in our life has another name. It's also called faith. Faith. Living by faith in the grace of God is not about the content of what we believe. It is about the direction for who we trust. And that changes faith not into an obligation of what we have to do, but into a new desire of what we get to do. And together, our new direction and desire lead us into this third way that grace changes faith. Last week, we considered the faith of a Roman captain. This morning, we're going to continue to look in one of the biographies of Jesus in the book of Luke to see where this faith, this new direction, and this new desire is ultimately leading us. And this is what the Bible says. When one of the religious leaders, Simon, invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating there, so she came with an alabaster jar of perfume. She stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now for this woman to encounter the grace of Jesus. That was like the end of her being young. Like this youthful, naive, and vain hope that somehow her direction, the direction of her faith that she had in her plans would make her life make sense. And in Jesus, she found a new direction for her trust as well as a new desire for her heart. And together, this new direction and new desire created this third way that grace changes faith. Some people live 
play the game Some people think that the physical things define what's within And I've been there Their lives are born so My very favorite things in the world is when somebody like Alicia Keys writes a worship song and doesn't know that she did. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh man, that is God leaping towards us right there. I hope you feel it. So throughout the life of Jesus, we continue to see him over and over again, invite and include all kinds of unexpected people. From Roman soldiers to prostitutes, traitors to terrorists, the unwashed, the rabble, the left out, the left behind, the leftovers. And all of whom come to realize everything means nothing without him. So faith 
This trust in God's goodness for us, a trust in God's grace is leading us somewhere. It starts with a new direction of our trust. No more chasing golden globes. And it leads us into a new desire as we experience and enjoy being loved by the God that leaps for us. And it finally brings us to where we're seeing what we're seeing here at the, the foot of Jesus with this woman. She has poured perfume on his feet and dried them with her hair. This is a new devotion in one's life. Now, alabaster jars, to to get at this, we have to know a little bit about the cultural context here. Alabaster jars in this time were a highly prized possession. They were long and skinny with a very small opening at the top, maybe about this long, four, five, six inches long, and they were often worn as like um, a necklace, especially by, or actually exclusively in in Jesus' culture, by women of the evening. They would wear these around their necks and it was a sign to all of who she was and how she made a living. And, And they would fill them with perfume because, well, in the ancient world, water was scarce and personal hygiene was difficult and not smelling like you hadn't bathed in a week wasn't easy, but it was necessary for her to make a living. So these jars, you know, this shape is important because the aroma would rise out of them, but you could, when you went to put it on, you'd tip it over and you would have to really shake it to like get one drop out of it. The point is you couldn't pour perfume out of this if you tried. And so for this woman to pour perfume out of an alabaster jar, it means that she broke it. Almost for sure. This is her most valuable and most precious possession. By doing so, she's not only ruining her most valuable possession, she is saying, I can't go back to the way I used to live. This is a new direction she's taking. By pouring out the perfume on Jesus, she is saying, you are the desire of my heart. This is a new desire. So what we're seeing here is a new direction for her life, a new desire for her heart, and it leads her to the most telling act of all. The Bible says she lets down her hair. And again, for us, that just doesn't, that just, we just read that and just go, goes past us. But in this time and place, for a woman to let down her hair in public was punishable by death. It was a capital offense. It was an act of vulnerability, of trust, of love, of complete surrender. It was the ultimate act of intimacy and only a married woman could do this and only with her husband. Now tragically, this woman had let her hair down many times before with many men. But this was the first time she did it for free and the first time she did it freely. This is where the new direction And the new desire of faith leads us to how grace ultimately changes faith into a new devotion. Where we will sacrifice what is most valuable to us, pour out what is most desirable, and in an act of total surrender and vulnerability, devote ourselves to God and his ways. You see, Simon, the the religious man who invited Jesus to this dinner, he was curious about Jesus. He was even open about Jesus. He wanted to know more, and that's all well and good, but if you read the entire passage, Jesus is pretty clear with him. That isn't the same thing as faith. 
He praises this woman because he sees in her a new direction, a new desire, a new devotion for our life, her life. She is actually trusting in a way that will transform her. That is just another definition of faith. It will change her in every way to become love's biggest fan. And this is what the Bible means when it says we are saved by grace through our trust in it. How? Why? Because when our faith becomes more than just the content of what we believe to be true about God, or the doctrines we adhere to, or the rituals we practice. When our trust in God's grace becomes a way of life, not only will it change the direction of our trust, it will change the desire of our hearts and the devotion of our life. And that will, in time, transform us into people who love love. The Bible says, The only thing that matters is faith, our trust in God's goodness for us, expressed as love. Why? Because loving love is what makes this life right here, right now, the beginning of eternal life. It's what makes heaven heavenly. God is love. Most of all, another biblical writer says, love each other as if your life depended on it. That way, God's bright presence will be evident in everything through Jesus. Another puts it like this, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. This is what the life of faith is about. It's the, informa- it's the invitation to transformation through placing our trust in God's grace. A new direction, a new desire, and a new devotion. Well, we'll close with one last story that I hope will kind of fill this out for us a little bit. There is a man who passes away. He's in the hospital and he passes away and it's kind of that typical story where he sees himself like rise out of his body and he looks down, he can see himself in the hospital bed and he's watching this whole scene unfold and he's whisked off. He doesn't even know how, but he just kind of, he floats up to, of all places, a spiritual bus stop, okay? And the spiritual bus comes by And he gets on and he's taken to this huge banquet hall, which is a great relief to him, right? He's like, so far, so good. Because he didn't know for sure where he was going. And he walks in to the spiritual banquet hall and there is this massively long table. And so many people seated at this table and there's someone across from him and there's people as far as he can see in both directions. And this amazing meal is brought out and it's served to everybody. And the man way down at the end of the table, he leans over, he sees this man way down at the end of the table and it looks like he might be praying. He can't quite make out what he's doing. And he's thinking, I'm in. Like, I'm so excited. And then everyone begins, as everyone begins to eat, they all realize in the same instant they have no elbows. 
and it dawns on them all. We're not in heaven. We're in hell. Like we, everything we want is in front of us and we can't get it. And all hell breaks loose. Like there's crying, there's screaming, there's violence. And so the man runs out of the hall. He gets back on the bus and he says, get me the hell out of here. And the bus driver says, well, there's only one other place to go. Fine, take me. Well, they pull up to another banquet hall and this one looks exactly like the first one. He walks in and there's the same table. People sitting at both sides of it as far as he can see. And there's a man down at the end. It looks like he's saying a prayer. And the guy's thinking, this is crazy. After all of the debates, after all the fighting, after all the wars about religion, it comes down to in hell you don't have elbows and in heaven you do. And when the prayer ended, everyone went to eat. And at the same instant, they all realize we don't have elbows. Yet they calmly poured their drinks, and cut their food, and then all heaven broke loose as they turned and fed one another. The abundant life, the eternal life, salvation, is not about where we are. It is about who we are. It's not about the place we're in, but about who is in us. And that means wherever we are can be heaven. Oh, how high I climb mountains If the mountains are where you hide Oh, how far scale the valley If you graced the Oh, how long have I chased rivers From lowly seas to where they rise Who gets the rush of grace descending From the source of its supply Cause in the highlands and the heartache Neither more or less inclined I would search and stop at just not that hard to find. I will praise you on the mountain. I will praise you when the mountains in my way. You're the summit where my feet are. I will praise you in the valleys also the
So good. Thank you, thank you. I love these lyrics in this song. So many great lines in there. At Jimmy and Carly's wedding, I said a lot of things, most of which I don't remember. I was having a really bad allergies that day. My goodness. But um, I did say to them that this new life you're entering into is not about what you can make happen. It's much more about what you will let happen in you. And I think that's what the life of faith and the grace of God is about. What, what if the goal of God is not to get us into heaven, but to get heaven into us? 
and then through us into the world. If that's the case, then becoming people who love love, who love God in his ways, becomes the great project of life. And it's no longer about this terrible search for this or that golden globe that will finally make us enough. It's about realizing with wonder and awe and gratitude, we already are enough. This totally reverses the course of life from what can I get out of it to what can I give to it? And if you've been around Storyline for long, that should sound familiar because we often say God didn't create us to get something from us. He created us to give something to us and he's inviting us to live the same way. How does that happen? By grace. By God's grace. It's always grace working through and working into us when we let it when we let it. Every day, God makes the leap of grace toward us. And we catch him with our faith. And then grace changes that kind of faith from content, what we believe, to a new direction, who we trust. From obligation, what we have to do, to a new desire, what we get to do, from obedience to the rules to devotion to the way of love. Really, it's from duty to delight. That is the way to the abundant life. And it can save anyone from anything. But more importantly, it will save us for a life of love that begins now and lasts forever. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place, for this opportunity to be together. And we acknowledge that life can be a chore sometimes, a terrible search if it is all about what we can get out of it. But when we live by faith in your grace, it changes faith into a search for you in your ways and you're just not that hard to find. God, I pray that you would show us the weakness and the fatal flaw of the faith we place in anything but you. Help us to hear your invitation into a new direction, desire, and devotion. Give us eyes to see that you are already wherever love is, inviting us to join in, to be your hands and heart on your mission to love the world right. God, may we allow you to get your heaven into us and through us into the world. As we leave this morning, I pray that you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for coming, folks. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the gathering from Storyline Church. Have a blessed week.